From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast special series on women and board games. I'm Jonathan Moriarty. With me once again are Stella, Hi. Mandy, hey. Emily, Hello. and Crystal. Hello. Thank you again for joining me, everyone. Uh, if you go looking for discussions on the internet about women in board games, there's one topic you won't have any trouble finding a ton of opinions about, and that is, what kind of games do women like? Everybody has an opinion on this, male and female, and there are a lot of stereotypes that turn out. Like, um, women like party games. Women don't like strategy games. Women don't like anything that's too confrontational. And uh, well, when I'm at work doing the, the game guru thing, some of those stereotypes actually come out. There are certain stock phrases that I hear a lot. Um, there's one, we don't want to have to think, and that we actually talked about that in the uh, in a previous episode a couple of weeks ago. When, when I find when I hear this phrase, about 75% of the time, it's a woman saying it. Sometimes she'll say, we don't want anything that's like strategy. And in my experience, it's only women who put it that particular way. And another common phrase is, we don't want anything that's like fantasy. And I've never heard that from a male customer either, just women. So, what are the stereotypes when it comes to women in games? Where do they come from? How much truth is there to them? That's what we're going to be talking about. So let's start with the games. What are the, the, the stereotypical women's games or girls' games? Well, I think there's a, a big there's a section um, on the game wall at Snakes and Lattes where you have all the, the three, the whole trinity of girls' games. You have Girl Talk, you have Dream Phone, <laughs> and you have... Mall Madness. Mall Madness. Um, and they're actually not that good. I don't know. I think it's because I played them in my early teens that they had this sense of awe and awesome, but playing Dream Phone uh, a couple weeks ago was actually horribly disappointing. I don't think it's ever been any kind of coincidence that those three games are what first pop into our mind when we're talking about girls and games. I mean, you start playing them when you're 13, 14, so it's what? It's shopping, which is what women are supposed to do, shop. We're the driving consumers in society and have been since the turn of the century. Um, uh, sex and dating, so how do you meet boys? What do you do to appeal to boys? What, What is... How do we form our relations with boys? So that's Dream Phone. And then Girl Talk, you know, gossiping. Girl Talk uh, is basically truth or dare, right? Basically yeah. truth or dare with acne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, the the fact that those three games are, are geared toward girls in their formative years of becoming women uh, is not a coincidence to me. Um, no offense at all, but I'm actually offended by that. Like, I think it's horrifying that that's what women um, are attracted to because I think it's only because they don't know any better. They they don't they don't know that there's other board games out there to play. I never was attracted to those games. I'm not interested in shopping. I'm not interested in zit stickers. I'm not interested in phoning boys. Like that's not what makes me excited that's not yeah I'm interested of course I am in real life in like relationships and love and like whatever but I'm out to play I'm out to like fantasize I'm out to have a good night I don't want to I don't want any of that real life boring stuff that women do right for me I feel um sort of piggybacking off of your point that a lot of it is how it's marketed Mm -hmm. I feel that if you made a game of risk that was 
pink and purple, and you marketed it to women, you would get women coming in and asking for it. No, that's Little Pony, the Battle for Equestria. (laughs) That's obviously like a very sort of simplistic example, but stuff like that. It is, oh, it's absolutely offensive, but you, there's, is a smidgen of reality into it, that if you market something for women in a way that sort of appeals to the way that women are being sort of like put in a little box at a certain age, then... Well, their parents will buy it for them. Exactly. The happy medium between the two of your points is is that um, it's not necessarily that that's how it should be, and I think that's why you get upset. It's just how it's marketed to girls at a very impressionable young age, and that's why girls like me who were very insecure and stuff just kind of gravitate towards it because that's what I thought I should play. Not necessarily what I would have enjoyed most or what I, you know, would have liked. I am in no way saying that's what girls should be gravitating to. I'm saying that's what society dictates that women should be interested in. And this goes back... A hundred, a hundred years. I mean, we're the shoppers, we're the consumers in the society. We have been. Every decade is defined by consumerism in Western society for the last 150 years. And it's women that are the driving force behind that. So it's not, it's not a coincidence that Mall Madness is a game that becomes popular as a family game in the 80s. Well, Stella, it's interesting you had mentioned this that because um, earlier in our, in, our, in our last episode, you mentioned how much you felt left out of uh, sort of the whole nerd culture thing. But I've heard from a lot of nerd girls who I know. A similar sort of sense of frustration that the kinds of games that they want to play, where they get to have adventures and do awesome stuff, were all marketed towards boys, and there wasn't anything there that they could really do. There was sort of no way in for them. Yeah, absolutely. Like I find it really hard. Like I really want to go and play games. I want to learn games, but I have three, four girlfriends who are going to do that and have the time to like work it out with those girlfriends because, by the way, women have a lot of things to do. They don't have that much time to play board games, to be honest. And the men just automatically assume I'm not interested because I'm a, a feminine female girl. And when I tell them, like, I want to come play, we play Lords of Waterdeep, they literally fall back. <laughs> they don't understand, like... Do and they I, swoon? Because yeah. I, I think I might. Because yeah. I understand, like, that's not even the deepest of games, but I'm like, oh, I, I really like Lords of Waterdeep, and they're like, oh, but you wear lipstick. <laughs> like, it's absolutely a thing that, like, they assume, like, women are not interested in, like, cerebral games of any kind, and, it, and like, I don't want to play Mall Independence. I don't. I don't now, at my I age. I, think I it's never a have. game. But if you're 13, like, I really think So let's talk about what women play when they get a bit older then, as opposed to the, the, the girls' games or women's games. What, what comes out then? Um, one thing that I wanted sort of to... Oh, sure. That works with this. Sorry. Uh, no, it works, <laughs> okay. it works very, very well at this point, but also Good. sort of back to the marketing thing. I feel that um, even, even... So games that are marketed to girls when they're sort of like 10, 11, 12, 13, and games that are marketed to boys around the same age, they're also marketed in a very, very stereotypical way that's also just bad. It's not. It's not good. The games aren't good either. I mean, games that are made for thirteen-year-old boys and are marketed towards them, they're for games and they're marketed poorly. Um, but they segue into games that are a lot more, that are a lot better and that are a lot more gender-neutral. Whereas Mall Madness and Dream Phone, they don't segue into anything. It ends there. There's nothing that is like Dream Phone but better. Whereas a lot of the games for thirteen-year-old boys, and none of them come to mind because I was never a thirteen-year-old boy. But they they, mar- they they sort of like segue slowly and they slowly sort of divide into games that are better and that they while these better games may not necessarily be marketed towards grown men or grown women just because. So they start with something like Dungeon and then graduate yeah. to Hero Quest, which Crystal mentioned last week, and then from there to Dungeons and Dragons or 
whatever. There's there's a place to sort of go. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas you start with chess and you work your way up to other more complex abstract games and war games and whatever. With risk, but, and then you start going sure. through the euro. But yeah, they, with moral madness and with uh, and with girl talk, it's <laughs> like you were saying, it's a dead end. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's taking what I enjoyed about those early games. Like I was a huge fan of the game of life growing up, and I still like it to a certain extent because I have all kinds of house rules that I tack onto it to make it fun. But you have I, to do a lot. You of have those. to. <laughs> but I extract what I like from it, which is the storytelling element, which which adds a lot of depth to that game. And take it and and discover that I like games like Tales of Arabian Nights, where mm. you go on this vast adventure and there's all these little cool pieces, and you have this amazing story. And even if you don't win, you have a fabulous time. I feel like I'm going to take it really to a theoretical level here. For those of you who don't know, you know, I have a master's degree in women's and gender studies and history. So when uh, when we talk about where it goes, games boys, games that boys play just go to more games. Girls that girls play just go to girls doing life. So mall madness ends in girls going shopping. Uh, Girl talk ends in girls dating. Whereas, because women, you brought it up, Stella, we don't have the time. Yeah, we work double days. At some point in our life, we're not going to have as much time to sit down and play board games. Or as men, boys and men, is still an acceptable form of entertainment and free time for them to spend. So the end isn't just more games, building on that skill that Mall Madness taught you. That skill that Mall Madness taught you was shopping, not how to play games. As far as the social structure, I think it's also uh, pretty easy for a married man to just say to his wife, funny, I'm going to go out with, uh, with the boys, we're going to play some board games. Like, okay, have a nice time. Um, do you think it, I, I don't want to say this, obviously, because I have no experience with being female, but um, is, 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 it, is it that much different for a wife to say to her husband, we're going off with the girls and we're going to play some, is, is, is that a thing? Is there a huge difference? There? Uh, not a wife, but... Um, or a girlfriend, whatever. Yeah, not a wife, not a girlfriend. Um, well, currently, I have had a girlfriend in the past, but um, my dad didn't believe me when I was saying, yeah, I'm staying out late playing board games with my friends. <laughs> this was while I was working in a board game cafe. He knew what I was doing. <laughs> this is the thing. He knew. He knew this was technically what I was doing for a living at this very, very moment. And yet when I sort of like stumbled home at three in the morning, he was like, oh, where were you last night? And I was like, oh yeah, just playing some board games. He was like, no, no, seriously, where were you last night? And I'm like, I was playing. Like, that wasn't something he could compute <laughs> in his in his that wasn't something that made sense to him and it took him like months and now he just he accepts it and makes fun of the board which is a whole other point I think our generation we're lucky that we can start changing that norm mm-hmm. you get a lot more couples like Crystal and your husband who like to play games as a couple and invite other couples over and, and a bunch of friends and stuff it's, it's maybe not so much of a <laughs> it's not so much of a like a, a dichotomy now between the male going out with his friends and playing games it's the couple having friends over and playing Lords of Waterdeep or whatever. we're starting to see a lot more of that yeah. I think Settlers of Catan and the explosion of European style games did a lot for that and uh, I think subject matter also has a lot to do with it I mean that that, that, that objection to fantasy that comes up so often um, fantasy really feels I think in a lot of ways like a boys club but these European style games like Settlers of Catan and so on uh, I know it seems to me like they create a bit more of a welcoming sort of a place where, where women and couples can sort of get in. But uh, what about uh, the, the stereotypical women's game that, uh, that comes up at, uh, for me as a, for, uh, at, at Snakes is stuff like Taboo, Scattergories, Pictionary, Cranium. It's almost exclusively females who ask for these games. Can you speak a little bit to what's going on there? Can I say, like, I, I love all of those games. Mm. I actually really do. And I hate that there's a stigma against them. I hate that people are like, 
Those are loser games. Those are games for stupid people. Where does this? Where, where have you experienced that stigma? Uh, at Snakes with friends. Like when friends come over, I have a shelf of games. I have Lords of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. I have Catan. I have Bang. I also have Cranium. And a lot of times I'm like, let's play Cranium because it's social. You and, know? and your friends give you a hard time with that. Then. Yeah, absolutely. Like male friends. Uh, because it's like, I want to be social. I want to get up. I want to stand up. I want to act with people. I want to interact with people. And why is that a bad thing? It's not. That's what women do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and just a quick point on that. that that's the thing at Snakes and Lattes. That's because like a lot of the people that we work with spend a lot of their time playing board games. And they're kind of board game snobs. Their, their opinion is Guilty their... Guilty charged. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That, that's what happens when you surround yourself with something. I mean, how, we've got like 1,500 board games, like you're gonna, and, and some of the people we work with paid like half of them. And you're, you're, you're yeah, like, you know, board game jobs. It doesn't, their opinion, I wouldn't take it too seriously. But like, it's like they're scared of standing up and, and risking themselves. Like, when you're sitting down looking at a game and moving a man, you're risking nothing of yourselves. But when you're getting up and acting something out and being silly and acting somebody else out, that's what like that's where the humanity is, and I think that's something to be said about women. We we want to get to the humanity, we want to be silly, and we want to like let yourselves be vulnerable. Yeah, I think that touches uh, largely on what you were saying before about people uh, saying, "Oh, I don't want to think," and I think they're confusing that with the fact that they want to play a game that's not too. Um, serious they they can't converse with each other and interact with each other and i talked about that in the last podcast because mm-hmm. girls generally they they want to catch up they want to socialize but they also want to have fun and play games and it's hard to do when you're playing Kingopolis and you have to think about you know which tile and resource or game you want to move you want to make gender is also a binary so the mm-hmm. dichotomy is is thinking what's what men think women emote so that's why these stereotypical women games, arts, Pictionary, Taboo, it's cranium, it's, it's emotional, it's women emoting. So they're drawn to that because we've been socialized to be drawn to that type and we're allowed to be emotive in society, we're allowed to display emotion where um, women have been socialized to believe that being intelligent is unattractive or less than. So the thinking games are, and I mean, this is all, I'm not saying we make a conscious decision when we, you know, no girl walks into Snakes and Lattes and says, oh, I'm a woman. I can't play a thinking game, I need to play an emotive game, therefore I'm going to play Taboo, or whatever it is. But in a way, I hate how you say, like, we can't be thinking. Do you know how hard we're thinking? We're trying to tell it's you true. something. It's true. It's, yeah. it's body, you know? We're trying to tell you something without using words. Like, that is a lot of thought. It's, Absolutely. You know, and people belittle that, which is ancient, like, years and years, ancients of years old, where, like, your body is useless, but your mind is very valuable, or your muscles are very valuable. What we do in Cranium is beautiful and interesting, and that's why we feel powerful doing it. But it's not valued in society it's the same devout. way. It's yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, I find it interesting, though, how games like sort of Cranium and Taboo and stuff are sort of frowned upon, whereas games that are very, very similar and, and are party games, like games like 25 Words or Less or Time's Up, um, are absolutely loved and adored. And I mean, my experiences playing those two games were groups of mostly men, and they were the ones that taught them to me, and they're the ones that suggested, and they're the ones that wanted to play it every Sunday after work for six weeks straight because they loved it. Yep. But for some reason, Taboo and Cranium were not okay. It was it's just... snobbishness straight up. I can speak yeah. to that directly. That's that is snobbishness straight up. It's the fact that you know Taboo is the popular one, therefore it sucks. Yep. Cranium is the popular one, therefore it sucks. Um, I don't know if that's exclusively a male thing, but I can tell you it's definitely a game stuff. 
But I, I worry that that's sort of, that could be sort of an attitude that could be turned into like a gender thing. It sure because, can. Because I mean, people that don't, I mean, 25 words or less is out of print, and Time's Up is, I don't know if that's out of print or not. Uh, but there's, not there's some editions that are still available. They're not like well-known games, and, and somebody might mistake, a, like so, so the, the average board game player or the average person coming to Snakes and Lattes wanting to play a game might not know about them. I didn't know about them. I'm sure none of you knew about them until somebody brought it up at work that sort of, I guess, stared at the box on the shelf for long enough and said, hey, I wonder what this is. And so I worry that if a woman comes in and says, hey, I want to play Cranium, they might be like, oh, Cranium, everybody plays Cranium, this girl has no imagination. And that isn't because she's Just like, ludicrous. I mean, Cranium is all about it. Yeah, and, but I mean, no, I mean, in terms of like sort of like game choices, this suppose, girl yeah. is just like sort of brainwashed by society for liking these boring, boring things because she's a woman or whatever, when it might just be that, you you've know what? Heard the, of it. Yeah, you've never heard of it. And these are the games that you know because these are the games that everybody has and everybody plays and everybody markets. I mean, Cranium and Tabula and Pictionary, those are like big names. And populism has something to say. If a lot of people like it, there's a reason a lot of people don't like it. And familiarity is important too. Yeah. I mean, the fa- the idea of not having to learn the game. To be, I mean, obviously, as a game guru, I try my best to make sure. the uh, the other ones more accessible by actually teaching them. But uh, it's when when you're the one who's going up to the wall, then obviously, in a lot of cases, especially if you're in the don't want to quote unquote think, where yes, you really do want to think, but you don't want to think that way. Yeah. Then uh, then something that you already know is uh, is, is much more accessible. Accessibility is another issue too because I mean everybody when we were growing up, I know in my experience everybody had Monopoly, everybody had a battered box of Clue or Scrabble or Taboo or Pictionary. These were the games that were available. Whereas I'll see people going to Snakes and their eyes just like they have no idea. You know, it's just yeah, exactly. So overwhelming and then you look at the you look at the wall and even somebody like myself who knows games, the first time I walked into Snakes it was like Oh my god, I, I, I couldn't even fathom that there were this many games. So I know it can be overwhelming just in that you look at the board and you're just so overwhelmed with choice that you're like, uh, Pictionary. <laughs> in my experience, that is not a gendered thing as well. Mm-hmm. The guys are just as doe-eyed, just as scared, and they're just like they go up and grab Risk off the shelf because it's what they know. Yeah, so going on the whole, like, what they know. So if a woman comes into Snakes for the first time and looks at the wall of games and goes, oh man, I have no idea where to start, it isn't unlikely that she's going to sort of gravitate towards something she's familiar with. And even if that's not like the bright pink box with the bubble letters, it might be something like, again, like sort of like a more sort of like bright feminine color scheme. It might be something with a font that she likes or art that she likes or things that are sort of typically feminine because that's what you're going to be familiar with. And I found that I mean, the, the fact that strategy is a dirty word for a lot of uh, female game players, is, is, is that just because of risk, do you think? Because yeah. the word risk is the word strategy is associated with the game risk, and that was a boys' club. Is that the whole? I think story? it's a large part of it. I mean, growing up uh, for, for us, um, it wasn't something we ever wanted to try because it just seemed too complicated and too long. Strategy, strategy to me means math, and that's what kind of always turned me yeah. off. And that's then something else is gendered as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, my first experience with Risk was a non-experience. It was going to my friend's house for a sleepover and um, her basement having this table set up where her uh, cousins had set up a game of Risk like three days ago and we're still sort of in the middle of playing it and there was like four of us like sort of ten-year-old girls and we looked at them and they're like, ooh, like three days play a board game? I don't have the time or the attention span to do that much anything right now. All right, so let's wrap this up. As a, as a game guru, I'm faced with the question of how, to, how best to serve groups of women and groups of, uh, of, of men and women together when they're looking for a game. 
and um, in a lot of cases, they're sort of reluctant to go for something that's fantasy or strategy or, or other than the kinds of games that are typically marketed to girls and women. What should I do in a case like that? Is it better for me to sort of try to gently push them toward to go outside their comfort zone and try something that's a, that's a little different, a little bit, well, something that a snob like me would consider to be more interesting? Or is it better for me to just sort of stick within what seems to be the maybe introduce them to something like 25 words or less or times up that's new, but still within that area and sort of let them expand into that on their own? What, what, which approach should do you think is better? I think sometimes it's good to let them experience like the nostalgia and come to the conclusion on their own that's not as awesome as they remember. For me, that was Dream Phone, the commercial. I used to like rave about it. I actually played it. I found it was actually a very fully constructed game. And then I was ready to move on to something a little bit better. So just get them in their comfort zone first and then push them out of it a little bit. I actually didn't think of that, but I really like that idea first. Like show them that, you know, take off the rose-colored glasses kind of thing. Sure. Here's the game of life. Yeah, but I, I would say, Dev, like, it's not, like, trying to get somebody out of their comfort zone too quickly is not a good thing, and it's not going to make anybody happy, but sort of uh, trying to ease them into more things, and starting off slow, and sort of reminding them, oh, you like this aspect of this game, then you would like this game, and eventually you can work your way up. Okay, that's it for our second episode in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about the art in board games, how it represents women, and how that can affect players' experience in a game. Till then, this is Jonathan with Stella, Mandy, Emily, and Crystal. Game on. And thanks for listening. We'll have a new Snakes cast for you every week at snakesandlattes.com. In the meantime, you can follow us through your favorite social networking sites, such as Facebook and Twitter, or best of all, meet our gurus in person at Snakes and Lattes in Toronto. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.